At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. have a seat. My name is Joel Tompkinson. I serve as one of the pastors here. Our primary text this morning is Luke 6, and so I invite you, we're going to bop around a couple of places, but I invite you to make your way to Luke chapter 6. If you're going to use a Bible in the seat near you, it's page 681, very bottom of page... um, 861, sorry, dyslexic here. 861. Uh, but as you're turning there, two, two uh, quick comments. One, Evelyn shared about our summer serve opportunity the first half of, of uh, August. And so I want to um, invite you into that. I have a, a mentor in my life who makes it a regular practice. It may sound creepy, but he goes to the same restaurants and he, he goes to the same servers and sometimes figures out their schedule and And one time I went to have dinner with him and his wife, and he was asking the server about some grad school project or whatever, and I thought, oh, it's clear this is not the first time. I mean, they have built a relationship, and he's one of those guys who is evangelistic, who loves to share the gospel, loves to engage with the server, also a good type of guy to go with because he buys my dinner, and he's a very generous tipper. And so all of those, in the spirit of that, that is our heart for summer serve as a way to say thanks for your service to... to, uh, candidly, just an area of our society that really got hit with the pandemic. Here's a way to show love. Here's a way to look different than other servers, excuse me, than other diners. Uh, And so make time in your schedule. Don't do a takeout this time. Just sit down, enjoy a good meal with family or with friends, and bless the server. So that's our heart behind that. Secondly, Unless this is uh, like your first or second time here or you're brand new to Woodside, this week you probably got an email from a company called Campos on behalf of Woodside. And what this company is doing, we've asked them to survey the entire congregation of Woodside, all 15 campuses and those who also watch online. And I'm asking you, if you have not already, if you have, thank you, if you haven't already, would you make 10, maybe 15 minutes in your schedule before the end of Tuesday to provide some feedback via this online survey? The type of information that you provide is so helpful to us in knowing how to plan for the future. And so uh, that's from Campos. If you haven't seen the email, it might be in your spam. If you haven't been getting emails from us, that's what the Connect card is for so that we can add you into that. Now, we jump in uh, to our text this morning, and let me give a little bit of background. So it was a week and a half ago, about a week and a half ago, it was Wednesday after 4th of July, I took an early morning flight back into Detroit and uh, came here into the office and left my family out east at my parents' house. And when I got home, I ran out to the garden because stuff was getting ripe, and so I started to pick, and it started to sprinkle, and then it started to rain. And then it rained heavier, and I ran in and got an umbrella and was doing the like, hey, how do you balance this umbrella without your hands while you're picking green beans? And all of a sudden, the wind came up, and I thought, I think we're done with the green beans. And so I went in, and I happened to look at my phone, and I took a screenshot. I should have put it up on the screen, but you may know what it looks like. It was this huge thing of red and purple that was moving into our area, and within minutes, it was a deluge. I mean, it just was teeming rain, and 
and I heard noise, and there were limbs down, and I looked out, and sure enough, I had a huge limb across my driveway, my neighbor had a tree down, and no power. And I checked, we didn't have power here as well, and we have a couple of leaking roof areas, and so I kicked into response mode, thankfully I only had me to think about since the rest of the family was out of town, but I kicked into response mode, okay, how am I gonna, how am I gonna survive for, for how long we don't have power, hook up to a friend's generator, and and uh, couldn't get out of the driveway, so I had to move that, and just all of these things, checking on neighbors. And so I've been working a bit on overdrive. We were without power for five days. We were one of those lucky subdivisions that didn't have power for five days, and then it went off again this past weekend and was off for a little bit. So it's been a little crazy in the Tompkinson world. And I find it ironic that this morning, I'm unpacking the discipline of Sabbath, the habit of Sabbath, when I haven't done a really great job of experiencing it over the last couple of weeks. You know, you're prepping to go out of town, you go out of town, you come back, trees fall, power's out for multiple days, like you just kind of, I was working alone with a chainsaw, and, and, which is fun and work, but, but you know, I've been so consumed on that that I just haven't practiced Sabbath. And, and it's a reminder to me that there's always more to do, there's always things to accomplish, always things that are on our mind, right? Now, at the very beginning, I want to establish a baseline. What is Sabbath? You might be familiar with it, you might not. I like best the definition that uh, pastor and author John Mark Comer gives to us, and he says this, the word Sabbath comes to us from Hebrew Shabbat, so that's the Hebrew word Shabbat, and the word literally means to stop. The Sabbath is simply a day day to stop. Stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. Now, I'm guessing you may think about Sabbath, if you're familiar with it, you may think about it a couple of different ways, like me. I had a couple perspectives. One, the stories from my parents of what it was like for them when they were kids. And they went to church, and then they came home, and they couldn't ride bikes, they couldn't play with neighbor friends, they couldn't read the newspaper, they couldn't have fun, basically, right? So that's one one perspective of Sabbath that I had tucked in the back of my mind. The uh, The other recognition that I had about Sabbath as a kid growing up in the 1980s and the 90s was that in church, teaching on Sabbath was virtually non-existent. We just didn't really engage passages that talked about Sabbath. And maybe it's because it was perceived to be this Old Testament concept or principle that we, we just don't have to do anymore, right? Jesus came to, to abolish the law. So, like, we don't have to do Sabbath anymore. Or maybe it's because the pendulum swung so far over here from the prior generation that they said, we're not going to do that. So, th- those were my, my perspectives going in. And it wasn't until Christmas of 2019 that I through the the help of the Holy Spirit, became aware of my need for the Sabbath and the requirement, the reality of Sabbath from Scripture. And the Holy Spirit used a number of things, but one of the resources was this book. I've already quoted John Mark Comer, but The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We live in a very hurried life, but when you look at the life of Jesus, it was not hurried. And so scripture and study and resources and the Spirit just pointed me to the fact that I was not living the life of a disciple that he was inviting me to live as. 
I was missing out on some things and, and wasn't experiencing this biblical rhythm of work and rest that we're going to jump into today. And so, for the past nearly 19 months, my family has practiced Sabbath. Nearly every week. It's really rare. It's the rare occasion, like what I just talked about with that storm, that we haven't. And so, I don't think it's um, an overstatement. I don't think it's an understatement to say that the practice has been life-changing in numerous ways. And in a nutshell, it has helped me to recognize the giver of life, and to just live in the rest that he gives. Now, my intent this morning, we're wrapping up this series that we've called Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World. And my intent is merely to just show us this ancient practice of Sabbath, where it came from, and how Jesus taught on it, how he approached it, and how he invites us into it. So that's my goal this morning. And I was familiar Really, the little that I was familiar with on Sabbath was from the Old Testament. I'm going to throw a couple of passages as we bop around, but you might be familiar with after the act of creation in Genesis 2, it says that God created in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. So he instituted it. He worked, although his creation really worked for God. So he worked for six days and then he rested for one. That was the model for us. When you fast forward to the giving of the Ten Commandments, the law for the nation of Israel in Exodus 20, he expounds upon it. Again, this idea of Sabbath. Remember it, keep it holy, which means set aside. It should be set apart. It should be something that you practice. Six days you labor and a day you rest. That's a a day of rest to the Lord, and it's all-encompassing. You don't work, your family doesn't work, your service don't work, your livestock doesn't work, people who live inside of your home who, who weren't Jews, they aren't to work. And so it, it is the commandment here. So first it's modeled in Genesis and then it's commanded here in, in Exodus. So God established this weekly rhythm, six days of work followed by a day of rest. But then also in the Old Testament, it talks about six years of work followed by a sabbatical year of rest. And that was a year of transition. On that seventh year, it was a year of transition when the Jews were meant to let their fields and their vineyards lay fallow. So don't plant, don't cultivate. Trust the Lord for your dependence. He is an abundant God, so trust him for that year. Be obedient. And then after six cycles of that was the year of Jubilee. And on or about the 50th year, the Jews were told to remember and to celebrate the abundance of the Lord. And it's also a kind of a reset year. They would return property and bond servants and other obligations back to the original owner. And so we're built in, hardwired into the way that God created and set up his people was always this rhythm of you work and then you have intentional rest. This intentional rest, this intentional time of recognizing it's the Lord's abundance that will provide for you. And I, as I began my journey of unpacking this, I have to admit how embarrassed uh, that I am to say I really didn't understand. I mean, I knew about the commandment of Sabbath, but I just kind of thought, yep, it's done, right? It's done. That's the Old Testament. And yet it's just all throughout Scripture. It's all hardwired into the fabric of life, and, and I missed it. And we collectively, today especially, we miss it. We live in a very fast pace of life in the modern world. 
And so if you're like I was, you might be questioning, you might be disputing, you might be saying like, "Eh, I'm not sure about this whole idea of Sabbath keeping. Maybe you think it's just the Old Testament relevance. Maybe you think, I mean, practically speaking, that you're too busy. How on earth am I supposed to fit this into my schedule? Here's a hard but true reality that I came across from another author, A.J. Swoboda, in his book on Sabbath. I'll put it up on the screen. Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result? Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as a vital element of Christian discipleship. It's not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. And please don't answer this out loud, but does that resonate with any of you in the quiet places of your heart? This idea of restlessness and overwork. There are a lot of other people that I have read in preparation for this message, but also really in the last 19 months who They're a lot smarter than I am. They're a lot savvier. They've written on this. And um, John Mark Homer writes in his book here on the pace of modern life and the underlying issues that it uh, presents. And let me just read this because it's so well said. Ultimately, nothing in this life, he writes, apart from God, can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires. The result? A chronic state of restlessness or worse, anger, excuse me, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless, and the cycle spirals out of control. Boy, that's a picture of our world today. And he goes on to describe the Sabbath as the antidote to restlessness, as the way that we push back against the culture. We push back against the, the, the restlessness that we feel, the anxiety, and, and we, we make a clean break and we say, this is the rest that Jesus offers to our souls. Because don't you remember the invitation? Matthew 11 talks about this. The invitation from Jesus for burdened, weary people. Come to me. I will give you rest. The idea of the yoke that would be put on the oxen, that was like a burden, right? They had to like do work. And yet, look here, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The practice of Sabbath helps Christ followers worship the giver of life and to rest in the life that he gives. He seeks to give us life. I want to recognize, I want to see his hand of provision and goodness in my life, my families, and and that practice of Sabbath is um, personally and relationally, I've seen a lot of benefits from it. I mean, just a few. Just by practicing Sabbath, I sleep better at night, like I'm sleeping longer, I sleep better throughout the week. It's just like amazing what it does to me physiologically. I find enjoyment from fun reading, not just church books, but fun, fun reading. I linger over coffee, I linger over tea and conversation with Allie. 
we've wanted to figure out how to integrate this with our kiddos. And so we sit around and we tell stories. We make up stories. We laugh. We go for walks. We almost always make something delicious, which if you've been to our home or know anything about us, we like to, to cook and bake. We want to eat good food. And so that's a part of our Sabbath rhythm is enjoying that. We really make a point not to hurry, not to be pressured to accomplish anything, which really pushes against my personality and our culture of accomplishment, right? But we make that a point. And you know, we intentionally don't shop and we don't purchase on that day. Not saying it hasn't happened where we run out of milk, but that's our, our hope is that there are six other days to do that. So on this one day, we're just gonna stop and life is going to look different, not from a legalistic standpoint, but really for our refreshment, for our enjoyment, for our flourishing. That's what Jesus invites us into. But it's also for worship. And one of the primary goals for me in practicing Sabbath is for the stirring of my affections for Jesus. That's worship, right? That's what worship is, stirring our affections for the Lord. And yes, that happens in corporate worship when we gather together. But it happens in all of life. That's what true worship is all about. And so um, I I pursue things that stir my affection for him and my devotion and and recognizing that he delights in me and I delight in him and it changes my identity of myself and the world around me. And um, yeah, it is good for me to, to gather in worship with you all. But this day, for those of us who work here, this is a work day for us. And so I intentionally choose to practice my Sabbath on a non-working day because of what I need out of it and what God calls me to. And so Allie and I have found Sabbath to be the most centering, life-giving, empowering activity of our entire week. We ask each other a series of questions every week. We did it yesterday morning. We ask three questions. What are you thankful for? And we have a blessing jar that someone gave us. We write the blessings down on the card and we put them in. And at the end of the year, we're going to go back and we're going to remind ourselves, what do we have to be thankful for? Second question we ask, this is a great question to ask someone that you love or that you're close with. What do you need? What is it that you need? And you know you've got to slow down a little bit before you can get to the underlying, like, what is it that I really need? Third, who do you want to bless this week? We're always trying to turn our eyes away from our stuff, our accumulation, our, our life. Just We get consumed, don't we? And the eyes of Jesus to turn out to other people. Who is it that you want to bless this week? Those are, that's part of the rhythm for us, that we ask each other those questions and then we operate from that. And you know what? As we slow down long enough, the Lord consistently refills, replenishes, repowers us for the week ahead. And I'll tell you, I've seen it on repeat over many weeks that by the time we get to the end of the next week, my bones feel like they need a Sabbath. I mean, just emotionally and physically and mentally, emotionally. I I just need that time and space for rest and refreshment, replenishment again. And so for me, I know my limits a lot more than I used to, and I recognize Sabbath is such a gift to me. So, I've shared a lot about what I've learned, what I've experienced, but because we want to be students of Jesus and his word and his ways, we're going to jump into our primary text here in Luke and look at the biblical practice of 
of Sabbath. And, and uh, there are a number of teachings that we could go to where Jesus unpacks the idea of Sabbath. He actually caused quite a stir on a number of occasions. And so let's go to Luke 6, starting in verse number 1. Follow along with me. On the Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, some quick context for us. This account takes place in the midst of Jesus's public ministry to Galilee and and throughout Galilee and Judea. And as his popularity grew because of his fresh teaching, his dynamic miracles and healings, it grew, it drew crowds, right? Both the common people, but also the religious leaders, also known as Pharisees. And they began to be concerned about this growing influence of Jesus. And they began watching him And Luke records a number of exchanges between them in chapters 4 and 5 that you can read about, but here we get to chapter 6. And so it's just they're out for a journey. They're traveling somewhere, and as they walk, they gather some grain. They're just running their hands along, and they, they gather it, and they pop a snack. Now, we know from Deuteronomy you spend a lot of time in Deuteronomy, I'm sure. Deuteronomy 23, 35 tells us that this was culturally acceptable. Now, you come into my garden, if a stranger, if I get home and, and a stranger is digging through my green beans, I'm going to be like, hey, man, that's not okay. But in this time, the issue was not the fact that it was happening. The issue was the timing. Luke points out that it's on the Sabbath. And uh, we, we read where the Sabbath came from, God's commandments, but over time, they got added, uh, like some, some restrictions, and so some pharisaical interpretations began to be added, such that at this time, there were about 39 different categories that constituted work and reaping, what they were doing with their hands and eating. Reaping was one of those that was prohibited because it was on the Sabbath. Now, you and I hear that, and we're like, that's a little overkill, isn't it? I mean, my goodness, you're like, it's barely a snack. It's just like a little kernel that you're popping in your mouth. How can that be constituted as work? This just reeks of legalism, doesn't it? That's what you and I say. But notice Jesus' response that I read. He doesn't come come out the gate and say, Sabbath is done, it's over. All the restrictions are gone. No, he actually affirms the Sabbath. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So by saying that, he's actually perpetuating the concept of Sabbath. But then I love this. He responds to the Pharisees' criticism with a question of his own. He always asks questions. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And so as he confronted their hypocrisy, they're the ones who are responsible to keep the law, right? To teach and keep the law. And he's going back and saying, hey, have you actually read this? And I'm going to summarize what he was referencing in 1 Samuel 21. A, because it's kind of a confusing chapter. There's some interesting things. I encourage you to to look at that uh, and the way that David did this and why and was there deceit when when he deceived. um, But B, just for the interest of time. So the true story, what I know of from 1 Samuel 21 is David is God's anointed king. 
not king yet. Evil King Saul is still king. David's going to become king. David's on the run because evil King Saul is still alive, so, you know, can't become king yet. And so David and his men are on a journey, and David goes alone to the priest, and he says, we're hungry. Do you have some food for us? And the priest said, well, the only bread that's here is the bread of presence. Now, in Exodus, we, you can unpack and read all about what's supposed to happen, the grandeur of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And there's supposed to be fresh bread that's baked and placed in the Holy of Holies every Sabbath. And that fresh bread replaces bread that was placed there the prior week. And so then that bread that gets replaced is left over, and that is permitted to be eaten by the priests, but only the priests. And so David goes, and the priest said, well, I only have this bread here, but for some reason, he yields, he acquiesces to David's request for food, and he gives him some of that bread. Now, I don't know, maybe it's because David was the anointed one of God. Maybe it's because David deceived him. But he, he yields and he sets aside ritual law in favor of real human need. And so using the example of David, Jesus is explaining, he's, he's teaching the Pharisees here that human need is more important than lifeless legalism. And note he didn't say, you're right, Sabbath is done, it's over, abolished, no more restrictions. No, he claimed authority. This was an opportunity he had to demonstrate his authority. And he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So one commentary has written about this, that only God could make such a claim. So Jesus, he's identifying himself as God, the Son of Man, Son of God. And such an authority, it goes on to say, such an authority makes the law, can't be accused of breaking it, Such an authority forces people to choose. Do you follow the pharisaical interpretations of the law or do you follow the Lord of the Sabbath? Now imagine if you were one of his disciples standing there. You grew up a Jew. You were so careful about what you did or didn't do on the Sabbath. And you had just been out for a journey and maybe inadvertently, I don't know, you're hungry. So maybe you just grabbed the grain and you popped it in your mouth and all of a sudden, You busted Jesus with the religious authorities. And you're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? It's about to hit the fan. But Jesus used this opportunity to teach. He modeled something for his disciples, but he also revealed who he was and his authority. And he reinterprets the reality of Sabbath. And so with grain maybe still clutched in your hand, maybe you're nervously trying to swallow it so that nobody knows it was you, You have to be filled with awe, with wonder, with worship of like, wow, who is this guy that I've been following? He's God. Oh my goodness. Sabbath is for the worship of God. That's the purpose. Sabbath is for us to recognize God and to to worship him. The practice points to the fact that Sabbath is a life-giving nourishing opportunity for us to recognize that God provides our deepest need. We stop, and he provides our need. Think of the Jews. They didn't do things for a year. You think they were nervous about the food that they would eat? Yeah, but God said, as you obey me, I will provide for your needs. He is the giver of life, and it should cause us to worship him. The point of Sabbath is worship and wonder and rest in the God who loves us and provides for us. 
Now imagine that I tell people how much I love Allie. We have a great marriage. Man, you ought to come over sometime and you'll see pictures of our, of our wedding and we're looking so good and we'll tell you memories and stories about our first years of, of marriage. But then imagine if I stop actually engaging with Allie except transactionally. Like, you know, what's dinner and you need me to run this errand? Like, imagine if I stop sitting with her and cultivating her heart and sharing my own and, and imagine if it's like in the same house but we just kind of exist together. We're not living in the reality of the relationship that we're called to, the relationship that we covenanted together. That's not the flourishing of, of our marriage is not going to happen. I'm, I'm not actually like filled with awe and wonder for her because I'm more about my thing than about our thing. I wonder, do you have a regular rhythm of resting, of being filled with awe and wonder and worship of your God, the one who made you, who loved you, who gave himself for you? And yeah, corporate worship here is part of it. That's, that's important, but... For most church-going Americans, it's like maybe twice a month when we can fit it into the schedule. So if we're not prioritizing corporate worship together and the opportunity to to worship God together, then I'm guessing that the opportunity for you to, to worship God and be filled with awe and wonder on your own probably is not a practice. So what fills you with awe and wonder and worship to your maker? Do you ever slow down enough? Jesus did. He, he had this regular practice of pulling away from his disciples and pulling away from the crowds and pulling away from life and ministry to go be with his father. And that was where he got his, okay, this is my purpose. These are my marching orders. This is what my life is all about, my mission. And I'm hearing from my father and I'm worshiping him and we have this relationship. Jesus had this regular rhythm. So what's keeping you from that same kind of rhythm? Luke goes on in chapter 6, and I want to pick up the last half of our text together. Verse 6, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Ooh, this is a good story. So Jesus is there teaching in the synagogue, and there's this guy with the deformed hand. A number of commentators think that he was actually a plant. How can you know for sure? But there are a lot of people who said, look, Luke makes it clear that the leaders were looking for a reason to accuse him, and so they may have planted this man there to see what will happen. So in front of the opposition, Jesus encouraged the guy, hey, come over here. Put out your hand. And man, as a disciple, if you had been there, one of his followers, wouldn't you just be mixed with a little bit of fear and fascination? Like, whoo, this is about to go down. Here we go again. And Jesus posed a rhetorical question that gets to the heart of Sabbath. The real intent, good or evil, helping or hurting. Silence. 
Luke makes it clear that Jesus looks around, probably looked right in their eyes, the Pharisees, and then he proceeded to heal. Now, if you're a parent of, or you have had kids who've grown up, you're likely familiar with the experience of telling your son or daughter, don't do something, as they look you right in the eye, and they proceed to do the very thing that you just told them not to do. Does that, like, irk anybody else besides me? Am I the only one? I mean, I'm a pretty patient person, but that'll get me going real quick, is when it's so deliberate. And we know from human nature, that's me, and we know from the text that the Pharisees lost their mind over that. Filled with fury, it says here, but the parallel passage in Mark, in Mark 3, 6, tells us after this incident, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So that's the eventual death sentence that they sought against Jesus. Now, this is an aside, but think about the hypocrisy of this for a minute. How, how is um, planning somebody's death on the Sabbath okay, but healing somebody's withered hand not? You know, that's an interesting juxtaposition there that, that we could dive into another time and, and give some thought to. But the question that Jesus posed of the Pharisees and the act of healing itself revealed Jesus' heart and his intent. It's his desire to do good, to bring life, not to harm, not to be a burden, but to restore, to bless, to enrich. And so we, we learn from the teaching of Jesus here that Sabbath is a gift for God's people. It's a gift for us. It's not meant to be as a burden, but a practice that is life-giving to our souls. Now, truthfully, when I began practicing Sabbath, it was not life-giving. It did not feel that way. I thought, oh man, this is a cease and desist how I live on that particular day. Again, not legalistically, but I knew I had to just rip the Band-Aid off. And, you know, I thought the rest of my week is going to be really full because I'm basically not doing anything on that day. That, so it's just going to make it busier and it was... It was hard for me. I mean, I'm an, a, I'm an achiever, a responsibility person, and I thought, I got to, like, put my phone on Do Not Disturb and physically remove it from myself. Like, I just, that was hard, right? And it still is sometimes. When I get to the, the time when it's ready to begin the Sabbath, it's really hard for me to, like, intentionally check out, to be off the grid, but it helps me. It gives me clarity. This like separation from the normal life gives me a lot more perspective and clarity and gives me the opportunity to hear the still small voice of God, which I, to be honest, it was hard to hear when you're just hurried and you're going through all the motions. It's really hard to hear what does the Holy Spirit want to say to me? What am I, what am I supposed to learn? How am I supposed to live my life differently? And I wonder what are the things that cause you anxiety or worry or distraction? What are those things that, that are keeping you from experiencing all the best kind of rest emotionally and spiritually and relationally, physically? Jesus invites you to a habit that gives you life, that enriches your life. It will bless you. And so for you, I don't know, may, maybe it is 24 hours. Maybe like the practice of starting that feels so unsustainable to you if you're working how, how do I even do this? But you know what? The, the actual practice of beginning to do that is what shapes us. God has used the Sabbath practice 
to shape me, to change me as a follower of Jesus, to change what I think about, what I care about. I feel like I have a lot more clarity and less anxiety in the world today when the world is screaming chaos and anxiousness and anything but peace. Sabbath brings peace. You know, when I approach Sabbath and when you do, you recognize I'm not God. I'm not unlimited. He is. Remember I said creation? Nah, that wasn't work for him. But he modeled it. There was a reason that he himself rested, even though it wasn't work for him. He uses it to change us. He uses it to recognize our dependence upon him. And he promised the Jews, if you obey these things, I will care for you. Yeah, you're going a whole year without your normal rhythms, but I will care for you. I will provide for you. And you know, Sabbath isn't just limited to merely 24 hours. It can be a way of life, of a pattern of life. In, in this book, Comer talks about Sabbath being more than a day. It's a, a way of being in the world, of a, a spirit of restfulness that comes from abiding, from living in the Father's loving presence all week long. It's an invitation into this abiding relationship with Jesus. And so are you restless? Are you worried? Are you hurried? What are you missing? Are you missing out on the very things that God intends for you to experience as his disciple because you're like the tyranny of the urgent manages your, your chaos? It's the very, very reason that God gives his people the opportunity to just rest and to breathe you know, it may look different for you than it did for us. We had to engage in a lot of different conversation, Allie and I did, and, and we didn't want our kids to, to get to be 40 and tell horror stories about Sabbath when they were growing up. So we wanted to engage our kids into the conversation. And what does it look like for them to experience this as well? I listened to a lot of, of messages um, in, in an audio book on this. I, you know, I've already talked about the ruthless elimination of hurry. I commend to you another orange book. Get the orange book at Bookstore near you. The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. Steps for putting technology in its proper place. He, he references Sabbath and the practice as we try to get a hold of technology that spirals us out of control. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but I want to call you to the fact that when we practice this, when we actually are obedient, we practice the discipline of Sabbath, we're, we're pointing to something in the future that's written about in Hebrews 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Consistent rhythmic, weekly, life-giving rest is what God invites you to, what he invites me to. It's his desire, and it's not in this heavy, burdensome way that is, is meant to, to give us just one more thing that we have to do, but it's resting in his goodness and his provision. There was an older couple after the first service that, that um, came down, and I hadn't met them before, and, and they said, you know, we, we just were talking about this and we're retired. And so we're probably not at the same level of busyness that maybe other people would be. And yet, they said, what you said about engaging the heart and conversation, we've lost that. Like we, we 
interact a lot more transactionally than we should. So I don't know what it looks like for you to begin, but I do want to remind you, our good and our kind God invites you into this. He modeled it for us. He established it for us, for our rest and for our worship of him. And I guarantee, I guarantee you, if you practice this habit, if you lean into this, you will experience more of the life that Jesus calls you into. You will. We don't just look to Jesus as our Savior, and theologically, he's, he is our Savior, yes, but, but the way he lived is a model for us. And so let's talk to him about that. Jesus, I thank you that you came. You were human. You walked on this earth. The way that you lived is a, is a model. It's a lesson for us. We need to know how you, how you would want us to live in 2021 and in the context, the suburbs that we do. And God, we feel the pull. We feel the effects of the world that we live in and what it's calling us to, to do and to be and how we're supposed to achieve and accumulate. And, and, and we want to live the way Jesus did because that is where life is. And so would you give clarity and hope and help to these dear people here would you reward them? Would you give them more of yourself as they try to set some things aside and, and hear? Would you, would you speak to them? Would you help us to be filled up in all the best ways so that then you can use us to do something really amazing for your glory? And I ask that. I expect that. I pray this in the very good name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we close in song? Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.